What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Clear Out Podcast, hosted by Matt Brooks, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. I'm going solo again. I, I appreciate everybody who sent kind words my way, um, mainly telling me to not be so hard on myself. So yeah, it's just me recapping a game that I thought was really interesting yesterday, a game that I actually had circled on the calendar, and really only like the good game that we're going to get for the next two weeks. Um, it was the Nets at home against the Atlanta Hawks. The Nets came out on top 117 to 108. It was honestly, that that final score makes it seem a lot closer than it was. I mean, I know the Hawks were in it until the third quarter, but at the very end uh, of the third quarter, the Nets started pulling away. There were a couple plays spearheaded by Bruce Brown, and I, I, it was funny rewatching it today. He really changed the game on on three straight possessions it ended up resulting in six points for the Nets, and that was kind of the dagger in the Hawks' side. But before we get into, you know, my my general game notes, because that's what I want to do with these solo pods, is I just want to sit here and share what I, I, you know, I watched and share what, whatever, I don't know, just sort of put some of these um, things that, that I'm taking down in my notes and crystallize them and put them together a little bit. Um, before I do that, I got to say, like, I the reason I was just so excited for this game in particular was I saw the Hawks, and I still do to a degree, um, as a potential sleeper, as a team that could possibly challenge the Nets in a playoff situation. And granted, look, it's one game. Obviously, there's a whole season to figure out. They are a very talented young team. And there's a very real world where they can put it together enough that they can challenge the Nets. And they can make... The net's uncomfortable. But my idea was that this is a team that's really quick, really athletic, uh, and, and somebody a team that can maybe hurt the Nets if the Nets trend big uh, by playing a little bit smaller, playing lineups where John Collins is the five, and put the Nets in these uncomfortable situations where they're forced to go smaller, they're forced to dig deep into their rotation a little bit more. And that was just sort of my thought process coming into the year. I've got to tell you, based on what we saw yesterday... I, I don't think this matchup is that scary, at least right now. Now, the, granted, I'll say this for the Hawks. There are a lot of things they need to work on. Defensively, I thought they were really sloppy, like really, really bad, like messing up switches. They'd have plays where, you know, they'd send double teams to guys that, you know, even like the way they were trapping Harden. I get it. It's James Harden. You're going to trap him. But like this year, I don't I don't know. I think you can kind of guard him with one defender right now. So why are you putting yourself in a situation where you're now in rotation trying to get out of that trap? Um, so I, I thought their defense was a mess. Their offense just feels off right now. I don't know what it is. It, it feels like they're really slow to get into their actions. Their spacing is a little bit off. You know, there were certain plays where they'd run pick and roll and John Collins would already be in the lane as uh, as Clint Capella was was rolling. Um, so they, they had little things, and this is just me as somebody who like gets really into film. Those things bother me, but I, I got to give it to the Nets. Like They thoroughly won this game. This wasn't a situation where the Hawks lost the game for themselves by you know being sloppy in certain things. Like The Nets were just sharp, and, and it's coming down to this defense, which continues to rise every single game. You know, I'd love to go back and see you know, where they were after the first couple of games versus now. I mean, 
you know, it's again, they're I think they're eighth right now, depending upon where you look. That's after getting the their freaking brains blown out uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks in in the opener. So that's saying something. Like they, they got they got killed on opening night, and they've really found a way in seven other games outside of that one to put together a really strong defense. And it, and it starts with, and I think why I don't see this Hawks team is that threatening. It starts with their guys at the point of attack. Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry were sensational yesterday. Um, Bruce Brown was great in the first half. I thought Bembry was really good in the second half. And that was really fun to watch was to see these guys kind of trade halves and, you know, kind of switch off. And I mean, that's the point. Like you have a guy on the bench and you have a guy that's with the starters. But seeing those guys, you know, just essentially create 48 minutes of constant pressure on Atlanta's ball handlers. Trey, Trey Young got nothing easy. Uh, Lou Williams was in hell all night. And they they just did a really good job making it tough. So I'll start with Bruce, who, man, I mean, he's pressuring pick and roll. If you nail him with a screen, I, I thought the way he was recovering back to Trey was really, really smart. If, if you asked Bruce questions um, about his defense and about his assignments, if it's the right night, you know, as a reporter, if you ask him the right question on the right night, he's in a good mood. Um, he'll tell you exactly what the scouting report is. And it's usually after nights where he does a really good job. I remember last year they played uh, Jamal Murray and I asked him about like what he was watching for. And he went through his entire scouting report, which is cool. Like guys don't always do that. Um, and, and, and Bruce, like you could see it when he was guarding Trey, you could see him process the scouting report real time. You could see him say, okay, I just got nailed by a screen. I'm going to run, sprint my, sprint my ass off, essentially recover, 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 and then stick my right arm or left arm out so that I'm in the way of his right-handed floater. That floater that Trey has really made a huge fulcrum of his offense. I'm going to take that away from him. Because I have faith that the retreating big man, usually LaMarcus Aldridge or or Blake Griffin, but one of those two guys is going to do a good enough job of slowing him down at the rim that I'm going to handle things on my part. Uh, he was doing other things too. He was blowing up handoffs, blowing up af, you know off-ball screening actions. I thought Bruce did a great job there. He's playing a little bit of free safety, which it's weird for as good of a defender as he is. I don't always feel like we see him gamble in a sense and pick off bad passes and he had that steal um that he turned into a layup on the other end and it was like this dude just locked in I mean it was one of the better Bruce Brown defensive games I think I've watched and he's just been that way this whole year I he's been I I said it on Twitter I think he's been a couple tiers above everybody else in terms of defense he's been incredibly valuable for them and all this stuff about well, would Bruce Brown be good on another team? Would he be good out of this ecosystem, this Nets ecosystem? The answer is yes. Yes, he'd be just fine anywhere. He's a good player. He has certain things that he can do. His defense is obviously going to get him on the floor for any roster. And what he's doing now offensively with you know his his floater, his, his finishing, like he's doing enough now where... I don't know. I just, I mean, you obviously don't want him on a team with like, I don't know, what's a good example? Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers where you have them. But even them, it's like, you know, I, I think you could probably make it work. I don't know if it'd be ideal, but 
you, you don't want him on a team that it's like super crowded, but I, I, I don't know. I, I see Bruce as a really solid player and I'm rooting for him and I'm rooting for him to have a big summer next year, um, financially speaking. So he's been great. Uh, but Bembry again, I, I, he's just a nutcase, man. He's nuts. Like I posted a clip, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, you're listening to this podcast, go over to my Twitter, go to Matt Brooks MBA on Twitter. And I did a thread of probably about 40, 45 clips from yesterday, from the game. Uh, you're probably listening to this on Friday. So this would be two days ago. Uh, but I put up the clips, uh, pretty much throughout Thursday, which is when I'm recording this podcast, uh, just kind of like going through the entire game. And one of the ones I put up was this DeAndre Bembry clip where, again, it's screen navigation. But unlike Bruce, instead of like keeping a hand up and trying to make the the, t- uh, the shot tough, I believe this was a, a Trey Young layup. He like swipes down at it like a crazy person. And that's what these guys are. Bruce Brown's a make it tough. I'm going to be really strong push you off your spots, make you uncomfortable, uh, generally just be like a running back that plays basketball. And Bembry's just like that crazy guy. Like he's just crazy. He's going to do crazy things, um, you know, and 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 bother everything that you do, get into your passing lanes if you make even a slightly bad pass. Um, you know, if you're trying to take a shot at the rim against him, good luck. He's going to try to swap that into the fifth row. It's it's sweet, and I and you know I, I also mentioned I said it on Twitter as the game was going on. I think Joe Harris has been really good defensively. Yesterday was probably the best game that he's had, maybe as a net. I mean, I'm, there were some games last year where I thought he was really good, so we'd have to go back and watch those. But he's adjusted really well to this new scheme. Which again, if you need a reminder, they're playing a lot more drop defense, and this is something I talked about uh, on my last pod with Lucas Kaplan, where. The way they're playing this year, you think of drop defense, you think, okay, it's it's Rudy Gobert in a drop, and what the Jazz goal is, is essentially, we play drop, Rudy Gobert's in the back, we're going to funnel the offensive team toward Rudy, he's going to finish plays with a block. The Nets, they're kind of shutting down things the second the opponent crosses half court by playing a drop and having their guards navigate screens and and recover back to their assignments. And the guards are pretty much doing all the dirty work. Um, and the biggest thing for them, I think, right, because right now they have one guy that's really good at, because there's two parts of, of drop defense. There's a guy that's recovering over the screen and trying to make shots tough. Usually that's going to be your Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry. And then there's the guy on the other side that's dropping back and retreating and, and kind of just keeping the, I guess, ball handler from getting all the way to the rim. They have one guy that can do that in LaMarcus. It'll be um, really interesting to see if they can get another guy that does that. Maybe that's Blake, who I don't think has been bad, but I also don't think offers a ton of rim pressure uh, or, or rim protection pressure. Maybe it'll be Nicholas Claxton if he can, um, you know, if he can just get a little consistency in terms of his playing time and just um, him just being healthy, which again, I hope he feels better soon. Um, but yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I gotta say, man, like this scheme, this drop defense scheme where the guards doing most of the work, most of the pushing and prodding and, you know, kind of handling the entire defensive responsibility of shutting down the opponent in pick and roll situations. Joe's done a great job. And, um, you know, I, I, he's, he's just, he's a guy that he's really strong. 
I think we've known that about him for years, but he's finally kind of tapping into that this year that, oh, wait, I can be strong. I can be this, like, you know, bulkier dude and use that to my advantage. Because even though I don't have the foot speed, and, and again, there were a couple of blow-bys yesterday. I think um, Kevin Herr might have taken him off the dribble, from what I remember. But for Joe, if he can supplement some of the lack of foot speed that he has, or doesn't have, I should say, for using his body, making guys feel uncomfortable as they go downhill and get into the lane, that's big. Um, that's really big. And I, I just wanted to say this stat before I move on to the next point, because I think it has to, it relates to all of these guys. Um, it, all the guys that I mentioned, Bruce, Bembry, Joe Harris, it's that teams are shooting 30.3% from floater range or the short, or the short mid range. So, you know, yeah, floater range. I feel like that's self-explanatory where guys like to take floaters from, um, which is second in the league. So I saw that stat as I was getting ready to record this thing, and my instant thought was that makes sense based on what we've watched. It's really, really hard to get off floaters against this team. It's really hard because they have these guys that, you know, when you think about the natural progression of a pick and roll, right about when the defender catches up to the ball handler, so your Bruce Brown, your DeAndre Bembry, your Joe Harris— Right about when they catch up to the offensive player, it's usually at about that that point where guys are taking floaters. And I think that's why Trey Young had such a tough time yesterday was that he would get ready to get into his, his shot, right? He'd be getting ready to finish off the play with what he usually goes to, which is a floater. And all of a sudden you'd have Bruce Brown flying out of nowhere or DeAndre Bembry like trying to I, I don't even know, like scalp him. <laughs> like, like, you know, like swipe across the top of his head or, or Joe Harris come in there and, and push him off his spot and just be a bulky dude. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of like why I, I you know, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of just why that stat is looking the way that it is. Um, oh, I also want to say I have, an, okay, I do have one more note here. Um, LaMarcus, I think, had, an, and this is based on what I've watched, all right? So I, I didn't get to watch the Philly game great. So if I'm wrong about this, forgive me. But uh, LaMarcus had, in my opinion, his best defensive performance. And in a matchup that I wasn't sure what he'd look like, just because, again, the Hawks can play smaller if they want to, I thought LaMarcus was firmly playable. And I don't think he was put in situations at all where he looked uncomfortable guarding somebody as quick as Trey Young or, or, or explosive and quick as DeAndre Hunter. Uh, granted, those situations were kind of few and far between. Hunter was mostly doing damage, you know, from beyond the arc. But I thought LaMarcus did a really solid job keeping his hands raised, uh, backtracking for as kind of slow and plodding as he can be. He's pretty quick backtracking. It's it's funny to watch. Um, he's fairly nimble in that. And, and it's odd because when you watch him backtrack like you're supposed to and drop, you almost feel, I'm like waiting for him to topple over in a way. And it just, it just doesn't happen. He's, he's weirdly balletic almost in, in the way that he can backtrack, keep his hands raised, keep his eye on where the roller is and where the ball handler is. And it's just, it's been impressive. Um, and, and I, I got to tell you, I mean, 
in combination with guys like Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry, uh, Joe Harris, Javon Carter, all these guys, I think because of how good they've been at defending opposing ball handlers, it's going to keep LaMarcus Aldridge firmly playable defensively because we know what he brings on offense. And he's been so good on offense that he could be like a extreme negative on defense. And I still think he'd be playing because of how good he's been on offense. But defensively, I think he's been really good. Um, And that's not to take away from what he's doing defensively because he's... That is, as I mentioned, the backtracking has been great. His hand-eye coordination is excellent. Um, he had a really nice couple of blocks, but one where at the very, I think, it was, I think it was in the fourth quarter, he blocked Trey Young at the rim, and uh, you know, and and he kept it in bounds. I'm sure you guys can remember the highlight I'm talking about. It, it kind of sealed the game almost. That's what it felt like. But Trey Young goes for that left-handed layup, I believe, and uh, Lamarcus actually swipes down on the ball which is, of course, you're running the risk of fouling when you do that. But he he kind of he knocked it right off the spot and, and kept it in bounds. And it was just impressive, man. Um, I've I've enjoyed him. I think everybody else has. And I, I will say this, like on a less play-by-play, you know, in the weeds type of point, he just seems to be really happy to be out there. You know, like he's just playing freely. He's playing like somebody that has a new lease on basketball life. And and in that way, I think that's why he's looked so good almost, is that he had it almost all ripped away. And he's come back and not only been an exciting story in terms of being a guy that can actually play again, but he's been like, you know, I think Lucas said it on our pod, um, he's been like the third best player for the Nets. Uh, and I, I was between him and Patty Mills, and I actually, will, I think, honestly, I'm probably going to lean LaMarcus uh, as of today. He's just been um, he's just been really good, and it's an exciting story. It's it's fun to to root for. I'm sure it's even more fun as, as a Nets fan. It's listening to this. It's got to be amazing to root for this guy and have this awesome storyline. But, yeah, it's just it's fun. Um, he's playing like somebody that has a lot of appreciation for being out there and is giving it his all because he doesn't know when will be his last day doing this um because he you know i mean based on everything he said he was pulled away early so yeah it's i just i that part is has been exciting and you want those stories those kind of i don't know those matter even more um than whatever storyline oh you know harden trying to get his first championship or, or whatever i don't know the stories like lamarcus aldridge playing when he literally thought he was never gonna be able to do it again and was worried he had like a life-threatening ailment. I just that stuff means a lot. It's it's cool to have that stuff, and I'm it's again I'm really happy for him. Um, yeah, it's just he's a good guy too, like soft-spoken, good dude. So um, definitely definitely pleased with that. Um, we'll switch gears a little bit. Wow, this is a big switching of gears. I want to talk about Blake Griffin. Um, look, I've appreciated the defensive effort from Blake. Um, and I, I, yeah, I've appreciated the defensive effort. <laughs> the rebounding has been better. He had a couple of really good box outs, which I thought was important. Ripped down a couple big boards, kind of like I said last episode. So that's good. The three is just, it's off. I, I've talked about this on a couple episodes now. The three-pointer is off. 
Uh, it's the misses are like all over the place. Some of them are long. Some of them are to the side. Uh, some of them are short. Like it's just, it just, it doesn't look good. Uh, it doesn't look good right now. It's not a situation where, I mean, it's obviously going to improve some, but it doesn't give me the vibes of like, oh, this guy's going to bounce back to shooting 40%. Like the misses are just so all over the place is mechanics sometimes can kind of look different from shot to shot, which is not good. Uh, he's obviously got a hitch in his jumper, which he's been able to work with before. But the big part with this right now is that teams have caught on to it. These scouting departments are really good. And in a year where the schedule isn't compressed and they like actually have time to watch games, because I know I'm experiencing that and I'm by no means a, you know, time efficient, uh, whatever savant at watching film like these guys are in these scouting departments. Like it, it probably takes me twice as long to understand film compared to these guys. Um, when they have all this time and, and just the ability to look at these things and hyperanalyze things with Blake's shot, guess what? It pops up really early that teams are sagging way off him. Like, Letting him shoot corner threes, we're barely even going to close out. And I think that's part of the reason why, offensively, aside from Harden finding his groove, which we'll get into in a second, I think that's why the starters look so off sometimes. There's just minute, you know, two to three minute stretches where if the ball isn't going to KD every time and, and Joe Harris isn't making, you know, a three or, or two threes. They just look so stuck in the mud. And and it's because you have two guys that just can't shoot right now in Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. And one of them can't cut either. Like, Blake doesn't cut. At least Brown. Like, that's the thing about Brown. You can say what you want about the jumper, but he's cutting. He's making plays. He's getting mixed up for offensive boards. Like, he's he's staying in the mix. He's setting screens. Um, Blake's just kind of standing there on the perimeter right now. Um, and he'll, he'll keep himself active with screens here and there. He'll set ball screens for Harden, which is great. Um, usually that means because they're not using him as a roller, he'll set a screen and then he'll pop to three and then he'll just stay there. So that's not really giving you anything. But it's just, uh, I don't know, it's it's bad. They're, it's, opponents are kind of sagging off him like he's like a Westbrook or something. And it's it's, I don't know, at some point it's got to change. Or, or they have to make a change, which is, I guess, my next point. But I'll, I'll also say this about Blake. like He's getting targeted defensively a little bit more. Um, the Hawks, they ran some guard-guard actions. Um, I believe is – yeah, I, I, oh, no, I'm sorry. They, they ran uh, – I misread my notes. Um, they ran some pick-and-pop actions between Trey Young and John Collins, where Young uh, – excuse me uh, – Collins would set the screen and then kind of leak out to three. And they did this because Griffin was guarding Collins and it was tough for Griffin to get out there to the three. It just, it like just wasn't happening. So you're starting to see teams take advantage of that, make Blake move around the floor, go laterally east, west, instead of just north to south in a drop where he's trying to keep up with the big that's rolling to the rim. Now he has to go guard guys that are picking and popping. Because that's where we feel good about it if you're an opponent. And it's the same way where if they can get the switch with Blake, oh, man, it's they're eating at that point. <laughs> it, it looks, I mean, that game looked a lot like how things looked in the Boston series 
where the Hawks or the Celtics just went over and over and over to the Jason Tatum, we're going to find whoever Blake Griffin is guarding, have that guy set a screen. Now Tatum's going one-on-one, getting into the step back, getting to the rim, uh, not taking floaters because Tatum doesn't take floaters, but, um, you know, getting into those type of shots. You saw that against the Hawks. Trey Young got a layup, blitzed right around uh, Blake. Uh, same thing for for Hunter. Same idea. Quick cross, get to the get to the rim in about what two dribbles, and Blake was basically ineffective. And I, I teased this last time. And again, I, I want to give Blake his time. I, I think they will. The Nets will too. They'll give him his time to get situated, get acclimated, see where he's at this year. But um, there's a world where I could see uh, Paul Millsap taking his spot. And I, I actually think if you were to think about, okay, which of Brooklyn's bigs, if you don't want to make Blake Griffin the starter, which which would you which would you do? Would you move LaMarcus? I wouldn't. And I said this last episode with, with Lucas. I think it's really important to keep LaMarcus happy because he's playing really happy. He's playing really free. And part of that is that with playing with the bench, he gets all these post-up possessions where they're running lineups of, you know, Bembry, Brown, Patty Mills, Joe Harris, and him. And it's like the only sustainable offense if we can't get a three coming off a flare screen or something like that or, or running an action where, you know, uh, I don't know, a guy's screening, like let's say Bruce Brown's screening and, and Joe Harris is popping to three. Like if they can't get anything from that, then the ideal offense is just dumping the ball to LaMarcus and saying, go to work, big man. And for that reason, I don't I don't think there's any reason to move him off the bench. Like if it's working, then why change it? Keep him happy, let him get his posts up, let him get his touches and everything works that way. The difference, I think, and if I'm making any change, it's going to be Millsap, who I think has, it's weird, he's older than Blake, what, by four years? I think he's more mobile. Uh, granted, neither guy is mobile, but um, I think he's more mobile. He was hedging screens a little bit, which is just a more aggressive form of coverage, and that makes me feel like the options are, are a little more diverse with, with Millsap. Um, he's, I mean, just some of the finishes that he's had, some of them are, he looks like he's 36, but he had that double clutch layup yesterday at the, in the fourth quarter. He also had that insane, insane spin move into this like weird no look hook pass to Patty Mills at the top of the key. So he's making those plays that we've been accustomed to from Blake in previous years that Blake's just not making. Like Blake was able to make those plays where he's spinning into the lane and finding a shooter. That's just not happening this year. I mean, he's he looks like, you know, he, he looks scared to dribble so far. And again, maybe that's just him finding his footing. But I, I think right now with Millsap, like, you're seeing it. You're seeing the flashes. The defense is really good. The verticality has been there. Uh, and, and, you know, he's doing all the other stuff as well. He's boxing out. Uh, the passing has just been excellent so far. We'll see if the three gets there. But at the very least... I feel a lot better about him, and I actually, you know, if, if it really came down to it, I may like him as a post-up threat a little bit more at this point, because Blake's not really, you know, he's not blowing by anybody, so then it becomes an issue of, like, can he explode or, or push past his matchup, because if we know anything about Blake, it's that 
he's not um, a conventional post-up player. Like for people that have been watching him since the Clippers, you'll remember he's always turning over the wrong shoulder. He's, uh, you know, he's like barely facing the basket when he's taking hook shots. And he made it work when he was younger because he was so freaking athletic that he could always find a way to get enough elevation and turn his body enough that he could find the find the cup. Now, I mean, I think he could still obviously post up if you needed him to, but I think for somebody like Millsap, who's really fundamentally sound, I think he graded out pretty well last year as a post-up player in Denver. Um, if, if you have a play where the defense switches and all of a sudden he's got a smaller player on him, I feel pretty good about dumping the ball to him. I don't know if the Nets will do that. They have not made that a focus so far this year, but that is another way to optimize uh, Millsap out there. And I just, again, the versatility, the versatility is there. It's more there than Blake right now. And, um, it's something I'm watching that, that, that starting center role is something that I will be tracking all throughout this year. And I, I think I've been pretty vocal that I would not be against a change. I think it's too early, but I also would not be totally against it. And I wouldn't be shocked if it happened at some point. So that's, that's where I stand on that. That's where I stand on that. Um, speaking of things I'm tracking, James Harden. Um, we'll start with the, we'll start with the positives. I thought the catch and shoots were promising. Obviously, you're starting to see teams gap off him or load up in the paint because we don't think that James Harden is going to be able to hurt us if he's standing on the perimeter or even worse, standing at half court, which he was doing. A little bit. He has this really bad tendency to pass the ball off at midcourt and then just kind of stand there. So we didn't have that a ton of that. He would actually go to like the wings and space the floor there. And he took a couple that way. But it's still something that teams are, I mean, again, because of these scouting teams having more time to watch film, I'm assuming, I'm just guessing here, um, but having more time to sit on film and actually like think about what they're watching um, in a season that's a lot more normal you're starting to see guys adjust to this. He's the guy that teams are helping off of digging down on drivers. They're they're digging down off of James Harden onto whoever's handling the ball, whether that be Joe Harris or Kevin Durant or somebody like that. Um, he's been that guy. He's been the guy that teams are loading up off of. So if he can make them pay with catch and shoots, I mean, that's a new frontier for James Harden. It's a new old frontier because as many people pointed out on Twitter today, um, He was doing that stuff in OKC. So it's a new old frontier, but it's a big deal. And I think it's also key because if he, and be careful about how I say this, if there's a world where they want to ease his on-ball reps because, you know, maybe there's a line of thought that, hey, maybe we're, we're just, we're putting too much load on this guy's shoulder with running the offense. If that's a world that they're living in, well, man, if, if he can make teams pay by spotting up, that's that's a significantly different offense, and it, and it adds a lot to them. And it's especially big if they bring somebody like Kyrie Irving back into the fold who's going to be handling the ball. That's a good way to rest Harden's legs a little bit and and make sure he's fresh and popping every single time he gets the rock and he's taking the ball up and running the offense. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because as Lucas and I talked about, there's a 7% chance we're at a crossroads for James Harden where athletically he takes a step back 
and all of a sudden he has to develop counters. He has to be able to, to, to spot up and space the floor as an off-ball threat. He has to develop a mid-range shot. So he's he's flirted with the step-back mid-ranger. Granted, it's been at the end of shot clock situations, but he's done it. He's done it against Detroit. He did it against uh, Indiana. So that could be something. Posting up could be another thing. There is a chance we're at that crossroads for him, and he's a smart player. He'll pick up on this really quickly, and I'm really curious to see if that happens. Now, uh, speaking of the burst, the athleticism, didn't didn't think it was great yesterday, and I'm going to be tracking it until further notice against these teams that are, you know, not um, lottery teams. I guess is the most blunt way to put it. Um, he had five field goals. All five of them were from three. The, the step back's been looking good. He's been shooting the long ball well, which is great. It's big for him. Um, I think he's around. What's he at right now? Uh, I could probably look this up. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's probably just under forty percent. I know he was at thirty nine percent a day ago. So as I look this up, I also want to mention that he had nine drives against the Atlanta Hawks, which is, you know, it's it kind of marks. So he's actually at thirty nine point seven percent from three. So he's he's shooting the ball well. That might be a that's. I think if that stood for a whole season, that'd be a career high. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. Uh, what was I saying? The drives, yes. So he's averaging, I think, around 11 and a half right now, maybe a little bit under that. He's He had nine drives against the Hawks yesterday. He had, I think, around eight to nine against Detroit and Indiana. So if anything, he's actually seeing his drives decline, which we'll see what that means. Is that him just picking his spots better? Is that him saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm still not 100% with my body and with, with where my confidence is. I don't know. That's going to be hard to tell. That's probably something that only James Harden knows because only James Harden is the one thinking through the game that way. But it's something to watch. Um, and it, again, as I've mentioned multiple times, it'll be something I will be tracking going forward. Defense too. Um, yeah, I mean, this is where I, I said, you know, the Hawks were using guard, guard, plays where a guard setting a screen for a guard this is where they were doing that not for Lamarcus this makes more sense they were yeah so the Hawks were running guard guard pick and rolls or pick and pops and the main thing to do was to force the switch between the nets because the nets said oh two guards are switching or that are, are getting in a pick and roll great we're going to switch this because it's two like size assignments we're just going to switch our two guards which meant somebody like James Harden guarding Trey Young and that was also a little bit of a tough situation. Um, the one-on-one defense for Harden has just not been there so far. He's been a blow-by guy pretty much the entire season. Um, and it really doesn't matter who it is right now. They're they're just seeming to get by him right now, uh, which obviously is not ideal for the Nets because then you're putting strain on your rim protectors. You're putting strain on your help rotations. Uh, it's just, it's nice to not, you know, be a you know, be in a situation where one guy is always getting blown by and compromising the defense. So that's something that I, I think has got to, that, that, I mean, we're going to have to hope changes. The screen navigation's also been kind of iffy for him. Um, so all in all, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like I'm trashing on him because I'm not. I'm just, you know, it's it's going to be a gradual process with him. And I like to track what things need to improve. 
Because if we sit around and talk about, well, you know, he made a catch in three and his passing was great, which by the way, oh man, he was passing the ball yesterday. Like he had a couple of those, and I put them on Twitter, but a couple of those 30 foot dimes to guys as they were, it was like right when the defense messed up an assignment, the ball would go directly to a guy at the rim. He had a couple passes where the Hawks would do something like where they top lock, which is basically preventing a guy from coming off a screen. They do that to Kevin Durant. And Harden would see that real time and just pass the ball over the top of the defense right into Kevin Durant's hand. And uh, and and there would be like, you know, I think he drew fouls, a foul from Clint Capella. So that stuff is there. But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm I'm killing the dude, but he is the star player on this team. He's the superstar player. He's at many points last year I thought he was their best player in the regular season. So there is a standard that I think we've been accustomed to from him. And um, you know, I just I wanna keep track of you know, what things need to improve for us to get back there. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, let's move on, though. I don't I don't want to keep being so negative. Uh, spacing. Spacing was much better. I've, I've complained <laughs> about the spacing pretty much ever since I uh, started doing this podcast. That's not true. Uh, since the season started. So that was good. Um, they had a couple of clips. I, I had a couple of clips that I put on Twitter where the Nets would, you know, instead of staying as they were, in their spacing, they would actually exchange where guys are along the perimeter. So there was one play where Joe Harris was at the wing and then James Harden was in the corner and they switched spots. And it was this really subtle detail that I saw. But then, of course, the ball swings to James Harden. He does the extra pass to Joe Harris and it's a corner three. And it's like, oh, that's those guys recognizing, hey, let's put the best, I don't know, the best catch and shoot player in the world. I don't know if that's, you can quibble with that if you want. I'm leaving it in there. Let's put that guy in the corner because we feel like about as good as you can feel about him making an open corner three-pointer. So they were doing things like that. Um, The other thing that they were doing, speaking of the corners, they were starting to space guys like Kevin Durant and Joe Harris in the corners way, way more. And I know people complain about, oh, why are you putting Kevin Durant in the corners? Oh, that's such a waste of his talents. He deserves better than that. Well, I, I hear it. I, I've seen it on Twitter. I've had it in my mentions from Kevin Durant stands. I get it. He's the best player in the world right now. It feels kind of disrespectful to put him in the corner. Guess what? He's one of their best two, you know, without Kyrie out, uh, with Kyrie out. He's one of their best two corner three-point spacers on the team. And it really helps the offense to have him there. Like when it's Blake Griffin or Bruce Brown in the corner... That's not as effective. It's just not. But you can put Joe Harris and Kevin Durant in the corners, and all of a sudden you can't help from the weak side, which is the normal rotation in the NBA when there's a drive, when there's a breakthrough, and you can't help from the strong side either. You can't help from either side of the floor with those two guys there. So you just sort of have to do, let, like, basically have faith that your other defenders will handle assignments and that the offense won't be able to score. You're just sort of praying at that point without really any help defense. So that's kind of where we're at now. Um, And obviously there are ways to rotate behind the ball outside of that, but, you know, that's kind of, that's that's the strength of that. That's why I, you know, throughout all of last year, I would talk on and on and on about the spacing of this team. They're so good at spacing. They're so good at 
putting guys in the right spots and totally stressing out the defense, having two guys on the weak side that are great shooters and then having a guy in the strong side that's maybe the best catch-and-shoot guy in the league. You know, they, they were just so good at that. And um, this year, it's been a little hit or miss. And they still had plays like that. There was a play, it was a baseline out of bounds where the possession started. Bruce Brown's in the left corner. And I saw that and I was like, that's a little weird. Like, I wonder if he's going to go in and set a screen for somebody. You know, maybe he's going to set a, what's known as a pin-in screen or or an exit screen where it basically opens up a corner three-pointer for another player. So I figured he was going to do that. Nope. He actually stays in the corner the entire time. The defense doesn't guard him. And guess what? The Nets end up with a corner three-pointer for Brown, and he doesn't make it. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens when you have a possession where a guy who's not really an outside threat starts in the corner, doesn't move, and and the offense doesn't do anything to, you know, solve that. And that's what you're left with is a, is a three-pointer from that guy from the corner. So they still have their moments. They still have things that I don't love. Um... And I'm sure those are going to be adjusted for over time. But yeah, I mean, the spacing is improving. There still has its moments. And, uh, you know, hopefully we don't uh, we don't have any more situations where it's a drawn up play <laughs> in an after timeout or or out of bounds situation. And you uh, you end up with a less than satisfactory shot. One to end here. As you guys know, I love my sets. I love my actions. Uh, I, I was the... You know, I was one of the many people on Nets Twitter that was absolutely enamored by the scissors set that the Nets were running last year. I tracked their split cut action, their pistol. Like, I I did a lot of clips on that throughout last year. And um, I want to go through a couple, just four things that I noticed in this game that I hadn't noticed in previous days. Uh, So first off, they're running a lot of screening actions between Joe and and Kevin Durant, which is normal. Um, one of them is they, you know, Kevin Durant's most notorious action that he's known for is coming off what's known as a wide pin down in the corner. Wide pin down is really just a pin down screen, count, you know, pretty much next to the corners. Uh, and, and the pin down screen, of course, faces the baseline, as I always like to say in my videos. I always explain what a pin down screen is. I feel like I have that down to the cadence, to everything. I, I can't think of pin downs without thinking of that definition in that exact wording and flow <laughs> for whatever reason. But um, yeah, so they run that a lot with Joe Harris setting the screen and then Joe Harris leaks out to the corner. Um, and the idea is if the defense sends two to Kevin Durant coming off the screen, then he can just simply flip it to Joe Harris in the corner. So they've been doing that, but they've started mixing up where those two guys are setting screens for each other. So they've started doing um, like what's known as a, a zipper screen, which is, again, it's a pin-down screen, but you're setting it basically on the block or right around the baseline, like right under the basket, essentially, and the guy is going straight to the top of the key. So they're setting that. Joe Harris was setting screens for... Kevin Durant to kind of sprint to the top of the key or one of the, I guess, like free throw lane extended areas. Um, that's They were running that for KD, which I thought was interesting. So they're running zipper action for him. Uh, they've been running some 
stack, it looks like, uh, or, or just at least Kevin Durant's coming off an Iverson screen where he's just coming off the screen and kind of going, I guess, directly to the wings, kind of. It's it, So the screen is set just above the free throw line. And then instead of coming off at a north to south angle, he's going east to west. So they're, they're using that action quite a bit. That was something that was famously used for Allen Iverson to get his touches. He'd come off what's known as um, Iverson cuts or Iverson screens. So they've been doing that a little bit. Um, I thought it was really interesting. They ran, I believe, and I could be wrong, could be getting my sets wrong here. They ran horns out, which is fun. So they're starting to mix in a little bit of horns, uh, which features two guys at the top of the elbows, um, setting screens for one another or setting both setting screens for the ball handler. Uh, so that's exciting. So they're, they're mixing up different things on offense. Um, and even the stuff that they already run, like Chicago, which I've mentioned pretty much every single time on this podcast, uh, which features a pin down screen into a dribble handoff. So a guy comes off a pin down, he receives the ball in a dribble handoff and makes a play from there. They've been mostly running that for Joe Harris this year. I have not loved it because it puts Joe Harris in situations where he has to put the ball on the floor and that has not been great this year. They ran it for Patty Mills yesterday, which I like way more because if Patty Mills comes off the screen and he gets run off the line, he's got a really nice pull-up 18-footer. That nice long mid-ranger, and he's been making it at a decent clip for this year and just his career, and it's a nice counter to have. You know, if he gets run off the line, he can get straight into that mid-range shot, and I feel pretty good about it. So I like that set for him. I, I It's not that I don't like Chicago. I like it. I just don't always like it for Joe Harris because... Personally, I think it's been predictable this year. And I think teams see it coming and they say, great, Joe Harris is coming off this dribble handoff. Uh, We're going to run him off the line and see what he can do from there. So that was exciting. Oh, and then last but not least, uh, I I like the Nets ran a a hammer screen, which I explained. I don't know if I ever put that on my Twitter or YouTube, but I did a video when when I had my Patreon really going um, explaining that play. So maybe I'll do some with that. But uh, yeah, hammer screen's pretty easy. Um, it's that pin-in exit screen that I mentioned a little bit back that creates the open three-point shot, and you're pairing that with a drive on the other side of the floor. So what that does is open a corner three-pointer, the ball handler dribbles toward the basket, and then hits a nice cross-court pass to that open corner three-point shooter. So so that was cool. So I mean, we're seeing new things, horns, Hammer screens, we'll see if those are repeatable, if those were just, you know, things they ran once or even just the flow of the game dictated those things. But it's exciting. It's it's cool to see the team experiment with this stuff. This is something that I talked about on my last podcast where I'm going to be watching for the set progression for these nets, seeing where things go, what sets work, what sets don't, what sets the nets try. And that's going to be exciting for me. Those are the things that get me through the dog days of the NBA because there are points in the year where I think all of us can feel it, all of us can acknowledge it. You know, we get a little burned out. <laughs> We're like, all right, it's, you know, it's February, playing the Orlando Magic two out of three times this week. <sighs> Wait, what's, how, how am I going to get myself pumped here for this one? <laughs> and uh, stuff like this definitely does that for me. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to see where the set progression goes. But I think that's pretty much it. Fun game. I think probably the most fun game of the season. 
Um, I, I, yeah, it was just, it was exciting to watch. The Nets look great defensively. I love that, I love that the team that I cover is, like, known for defense. It's, like, the first time I think ever I can really remember the Nets being this way. Uh, and I, I think you guys know I love watching defense. So watching that is satisfactory for me. Um, I like the way they're coming together. They're really deep. I mean, I think we all knew that in the summer, but it's not in ways that we necessarily expected. You know, it's guys like DeAndre Bembry popping off. Uh, Bruce Brown taking another leap, it feels like. You know, I'm hoping we can get some good Javon Carter minutes, but LaMarcus Aldridge looking exceptional, better than we even ever could have predicted. So they look great, and and their team is so deep that it's making up for the fact that they are A, missing an entire superstar, and B, have another superstar getting himself into form. And by the way, Kevin Durant, of course, Kevin Durant went 13 for 20. <laughs> He's been so good this year, man. He's just been so good. I, I feel like I had to say it every episode. He's been so good. I He doesn't miss. He just doesn't miss. It's insane. I don't understand it. Um, but yeah, fun game. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. I hope you guys enjoyed the game. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's everything I got today. So if you enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe on whatever streaming podcast platform you use. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever ones there are out there. Um, leave me a five-star rating. I'd appreciate it. It helps. My show, my show is new-ish still. I think we're at, what, 14, 15 episodes maybe? So it's it's getting off the ground, but that stuff definitely helps. It helps with the growth of this show. I've been putting a lot of time and effort into it, and um, I'm excited actually really where it's going. These solo pods are fun, man. This is great. I'm, I'm a talker, so... This is great, man. I just talk for 50 minutes. This is my dream, basically. <laughs> just talking. I'm used to talking and nobody listening. So this is this is totally great for me. What an ideal medium. I don't know why I didn't know about this earlier. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week. I, I'm going to see what I can do next week. I want to do something special for this show. So um, thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you guys early next week. Peace.